0: This is our third week of our new series, Presence People. And over the past two weeks, Alan has been reminding us of the importance of our pursuit of God's presence, how our own journey as a church has always centered around the idea that we are following the cloud of God's presence. And we have been encouraged and challenged to allow God's love to awaken a desire for more of Him in our hearts. That when we become a people who live with his face in view, we aren't just playing the part of somebody who follows Jesus, but we are um, becoming a people who long to surrender, who long to give God permission to work in us. And as a body, um, we have been issued the challenge to become pilgrims of the heart, those who would intentionally move towards the presence of God, because, of course, we've been taught that God comes where he is wanted. Then, through Jesus, the light of God's face would shine on us. As his love is revealed more deeply to each one of us, we would become a people who would have unveiled faces which reflect his true nature back to the world again. And it feels like God has been doing something particularly deep over the past two weeks. Um, and my sense is that it's a, a preparation for all it is to come in the next season for us as a body, and even just by way of encouragement, um, I think it's important for you to know that it's in these moments. You know, these are the moments when we embody what it is to become a people of presence, because it's good to be brave. And I want to honour this morning the fact that, that so many of you have um, responded to God and have acknowledged the nudges of His Spirit. Because you see, when we read the Gospels, it's not hard to picture yourself sitting in Jesus's company, listening to his teaching and and being caught up in his mission and leaving everything behind to follow him. And I can picture myself in the crowd of his followers, finding purpose through his words and life, through his actions. But somewhere along the lines of church history, we have um, diluted this a bit. And maybe it's because we get comfortable with the idea that Jesus is in heaven and we are to get on with the commission that he left with us which is to preach the gospel to heal the sick to baptize and to make disciples of all nations and we can kind of get our head around that bit but actually central to the great commission is one kind of uh anchoring fact one one source which is the holy spirit and and today i want to take some time with, um, with a lot of God's help to try to help us come to a more rounder understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and, and how he is at the core um, of, of what it is for us to live in, to be in a people of presence. Now, I think it's a fair enough conclusion to say that that the Holy Spirit is probably the most misunderstood and sometimes even the most misrepresented part of the Godhead. You could easily just think that the Holy Spirit was present at the creation and then he sat up in heaven with the Father until Jesus ascended and then he was like, you know, fist pumped in by Jesus. He was like tagged in when Pentecost came. And when the Spirit came, like a sound of wind and tongue, and they rested above the heads of those in the upper room and then of course we know that he broke out um, through the church in the book of Acts. But that's not quite the whole story. This is only one small part in the big picture of the biblical narrative around who the Holy Spirit is. And so it's helpful for us to understand first of all how the Hebrew people understood the Spirit of God and how, um, when we understand that, it gives us a fuller insight into the person of the Holy Spirit. Because you see, when we read the Bible, it's helpful to know that the Holy Spirit is also known by lots of other names. He's known as the Eternal Spirit. He's known as the Spirit of the Sovereign God. He's known as the Helper, the Spirit of the Living God, the Spirit of Life, the Spirit of Holiness, the Spirit of Grace, the Spirit of Glory, the Spirit of the Son. And th- and there's lots more. And, and, and so, We aren't always specifically looking for the term Holy Spirit, but he is all over the Old Testament. And and back in the day, Hebrews, like we, believed that the Spirit of God is there from the beginning of time. And if we look at Genesis 1 verse 2, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So here, right right in this very passage, we can see that the Spirit of God is hovering over the chaos. He's lingering over the emptiness. He's just waiting to begin. And it's helpful that we understand that to the Hebrew people, they believed God's Spirit to be almost like, um, like a force or a presence that creates and also continues to sustain creation. And I suppose in some ways the simplest way to describe it is it's the thing, the Holy Spirit is the thing that gives life and enables life to keep on living. And so God's Spirit, God's personal presence has been there like right from the beginning of time, working, creating, establishing and sustaining and throughout the old testament we can see in various accounts where the spirit of god actually comes upon individuals like for really specific purposes so for example we have joseph the spirit gave him the ability to interpret dreams and to govern the land to the extent that he changed the destiny of egypt and indirectly israel we know that the spirit of god came upon batzalel from our summer series he was given creativity to craft the tabernacle We know that the Holy Spirit gave the prophets the grace to understand God's heart, to hear his voice and to call his people back to the Lord's original covenantal purpose. The Holy Spirit spoke through Isaiah to prophetically declare the coming of the Messiah as the answer to Israel's problems, but also to the problem of sin in the world. Jesus was going to be the one through whom all the problems could be solved. And and, and so it's good for us to get comfortable with the fact that the Holy Spirit is and has been at work throughout the, the entire biblical timeline. He doesn't just arrive at Pentecost. Now Pentecost is key and we'll get to that later on. But he's always been at work, okay? And then Of course, we know that Jesus arrives on the scene of time as God in flesh, showing us what the fullness of life in the Spirit looked like. The Bible tells us that Jesus was conceived by the Spirit, that he was taught in the Spirit, that he was led by the Spirit, that he was baptized and filled with the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit actually came on him in physical form like a dove, which is actually, um, you know, just by reference way, it's, it's an echo of Genesis 1. And for Jesus, it was from this posture being filled with the Spirit and overflowing with the Spirit that he was able to reveal the kingdom and what the kingdom looked like through his... Ministry, And he did that whenever he was prompted by the Spirit. And so it's important that we get this. Jesus and the Spirit worked together as one. Jesus made the decision that he was going to do nothing out of his flesh. He wasn't going to operate separate from the Spirit. And so everything about Jesus' life and ministry was both led by and empowered by the Spirit of God. And of course, we know that Jesus existed in the fullness of God's presence from the beginning of time. And so when he came to earth, the invisible God became visible through Jesus. But he knew that he was there to do the work of the Father. And the way that he did the work of the Father was to actually be empowered by the Spirit. And so let's listen to what he says in Luke 4, verses 18. It says, Jesus says this, right? He says, the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, and he, the Spirit, has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. So when Jesus drove out demons, when he healed people, when he preached, when he discipled his friends, when he confronted the hypocrisy of the religious leaders, when he went to the cross, when he rose from the dead, all of it like every single bit of it was done in both the anointing and following the leading of the spirit of the Lord so then it makes you kind of wonder well why <laughs> why did he do that and and uh, and there's probably lots of reasons for that but um but but I'm just going to tell you what I think this morning and I and I think he did it for us I think that That Jesus came to show us. He is the best example of what life walking in the fullness of the Spirit looks like. Life with um, no resistance to the prompting of the Spirit, fully surrendered to the leading of the Spirit. And of course, it was all born out of the purity of the relationship that he enjoyed with the Father because Jesus is like the ultimate presence person. If you want to know what it looks like, you look at Jesus's life. And Bill Johnson says it brilliantly. He says, Jesus modeled the perfect knowledge of God, the burning conviction of God, and the action that illustrated what he believed. You see, I think Jesus's life, when it is empowered by the Spirit, which is what we see, presents us with this beautiful, seamless merging between what he believes and how that connects with his reality, how it plays out around him. I think that Jesus wants us to um, understand and have faith to believe that it is entirely possible for us to live this way too. Because in his great love for us, Jesus is the one who makes way for the Holy Spirit to be poured out into each one of our hearts. Where it had previously only been select people throughout the Old Testament, through what Jesus did, through his death and through his subsequent resurrection, he, Jesus, made a way for the personal presence of the Almighty, living God, to break out beyond the curtain behind the Holy of Holies, right, and to fall on all flesh. And of course, we see that in the book of Acts. And this is what happened at Pentecost. And this is where the whole arc of the biblical narrative about the spirit comes together. Remember, it was only the high priest who got to enter into God's presence in the tabernacle. But even then, we we learned this over the summer, there were so many rituals and purifications and all these things that had to happen before they could even access God's presence. But then Jesus came so that the Spirit could break out, so the Spirit could move towards humanity, because that's what he longs to do. He longs to create and renew. The Spirit longs to establish and sustain what he has already created. And this is how the Hebrews understood the Spirit of God. And for us as people of God's presence, The invitation still exists for us to get more familiar with him, to allow the Spirit to do what he does best, which is to make something life-giving out of our chaos and to bring forth purpose out of what we might class as, as our emptiness. You see, the Holy Spirit is referred to as uh, the breath of God and, and in the Hebrew it's the word ruach, and it refers to, to God's like very own breath and so we see this um, particularly in context in Genesis when Adam is being created and it talks about God breathing the breath of life into Adam and as Adam's lungs were filled, as he breathed in, they were filled with the very breath of God. Adam was filled with God Himself, with like, with like the Spirit of the Living God. Like, can you imagine that? It's really pure, and it's incredibly intimate. But this is the heart of the Father. He wants us to get so close that life and hope emerge. And Job says in, in, in Job 33-4, he says, the spirit, the ruach, the breath of God, the spirit of God has made me and the breath, again, the spirit of the ruach of the Almighty gives me life. And it's this same ruach or breath is the same spirit that hovers over creation. And so keeping all of that in mind, I want to draw you to um, John 20 verses 19 to 22. And Jesus has died. And this was just after Resurrection Sunday. And this is what he says. He said, It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I imagine this was Jesus' way of showing them that the spirit, the breath of God, was the physical presence of God with them. Don't forget, as Hebrews, the disciples would have been familiar with the religious, cultural language that surrounded the spirit and breath, and they would have been taught this um, as as young boys. And to us, it probably seems a bit random that Jesus would breathe on them. But in their culture, it would, I imagine, have been like a moment of like recognition or, or awakening. Remember, the disciples were afraid of the religious leaders having heard that Jesus was no longer dead. And Jesus knows this. He identifies with it and he responds to it gently. You could say that he was offering the Holy Spirit as an antidote to fear. Jesus was giving them a glimpse of the fact that he, he wasn't leaving them alone to, uh, to figure this out on their own. God himself was still going to be present with them, but in the form of the Holy Spirit. He was still going to give them guidance and support and authority and power and all the emotional bolstering that they would have received when they served alongside Jesus in his physical body. But now it was going to be through the Spirit. And Jesus makes it really clear to his followers he said, you know what? It's better for you that I go because that means that the Spirit is going to come. He's saying to them, right? This is this is not plan B. The Spirit of God is not the dregs of what Jesus has left behind. The Spirit of God has always been plan A. This is the ultimate will of the Father for us now in these days. And his heart is, is for us to be filled with himself, that we become people of his presence. And so when fear rises up, just like it did for the disciples, the Spirit is the answer to conquer the fear. That fear would no longer hold us back. Instead, that we would be so familiar with the Spirit of God that we would get caught up in the work of the new creation tea. That's what the work of the Holy Spirit is, that our hearts would always respond with a yes to his work because the Spirit of God is the main way that <laughs> God builds his church. And we don't want to try at all to build the church separate from the work of the Spirit. That just wouldn't be a good idea. And so the, the Trinity, the Godhead from the beginning, we're building to this moment in time where the Spirit of God was going to be poured out on all of humanity in Pentecost, okay? So when you look at Acts 1 verse 4, Jesus is Talking to the disciples and he's urging them and he's saying, right, lads, don't be jumping ahead here. Don't be trying to get a five point plan to figure this all out for yourself. He's saying, wait, wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. You see, the Holy Spirit could have fallen on them then and there. But, but Jesus, I think, understood the significance of the day of Pentecost He knew Jerusalem would be filled with so many tribes and tongues. And I believe that that, that he started as he wanted to go on. That is, with, with no ethnic boundaries in place under the new covenant. And with the church and the Spirit exploding and spilling out beyond to the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit was fulfilling the will of the Father to expand the boundary lines and to pave the way for one new humanity and this is important you know that that we understand and, and 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 take in the fact that without the work of the holy spirit and acts this would never have happened and and i think it, it wouldn't have ever happened because the true nature of human flesh would have taken over tribalism would have kicked in and uh, And Jesus knew that. And so when he gave the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the Spirit was able to be poured out on all flesh. The Spirit was able to trailblaze the way of a new reality. And of course, we know then from that point that the church explodes because the Holy Spirit is right there. He is present. He is having free reign among the people. You see, they understood the Holy Spirit was continuing the work that Jesus had begun. And down through the ages the church has, uh, has navigated lots of different social and economic and political nuances and sometimes the Spirit has been in his rightful place as that has happened but also unfortunately um, sometime he, sometimes he hasn't and, um, and it hasn't always gone well for the church when that's been the case. But you know, in those times when he has been front and center, leading the way, being the ultimate authority in what the church does, then these solutions to what are seen as unsolvable problems begin to emerge. And so we see things like slavery abolished. We see homes and schools established for impoverished children. We see hospitals, we see mental health charities, and and so many um, solutions to the broken goodness of sin begin to arise. Because the spirit hovers. The spirit is waiting to create and give life. That's who he is. And that's what he does. But guys, there's one thing that we um, can be absolutely 100% confident of is that it is absolute foolishness to leave him out of this I don't ever want to do that. <laughs> um, but he, he is, after all, the creative, life-giving Spirit of God whose desire it is to continually bring renewal to creation. And if we want to lean into the 2030 vision to see all of those things established that have been prophetically spoken over us as a body, then, then we need him, like, desperately. Like, we've got to be presence people because we will just mess the whole thing up if we try to do it on our own strength. And as people, that's because we have flesh, that's, that's our, 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 our default. <laughs> um, and we have this constant struggle with our flesh. And so we need renewed in the spirit. And I know you've heard this before, but D.L. Moody says, he says, I need a continual infilling because I like. Our flesh causes us to leak and we need the Spirit. We need to be refreshed and renewed in him all over again. And I guess in a room this size, there might be some uh, who, if, if they're honest, perhaps have some reservations or are a little uncomfortable with some of the experiences around the Holy Spirit. And I, I get that. Um, particularly if you've been made to feel uncomfortable before. Um, to be honest, I think the church has to take some ownership over the fact that it hasn't maybe always represented the Holy Spirit in a, a particularly healthy way. Um, but the truth this morning is is that he's a person, he is, is one part of the Godhead. Um, and uh, he is not some invisible lightsaber that we whack people over the head with to get them to fall into line that absolutely does not honour who he is he is not a weapon to be um, bandied about and used sometimes like you know the church the church in general has maybe just got this a bit wrong <laughs> such is the nature of people mistakes get made. We aren't perfect um, and we're not always going to get that bit right. And if you're someone who uh, you feel like you've ever been wounded in that way or even um, dare I say a little bit sort of spooked by that, um, I feel like God wants to redeem that for you this morning because that is not who he is. He is a gentleman. He does not force himself on anyone because remember he shows up where he is wanted. And sometimes the imagery that's associated with the Holy Spirit like um, wind and water and fire and oil, um, they, they, can, they can make the Holy Spirit feel a little bit other are a little bit impersonal or removed from us. And, and so maybe we find that he's hard to identify with. But in those instances, I think it's helpful to think of these as descriptors to, to help us understand his attributes, to help us understand his character. Like when we say that God is the rock, like we aren't actually picturing a, a rock when we worship him, but we know that it speaks to his character. We know that it speaks to who he is. When we think about Jesus as the pure and spotless Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world, we don't picture a lamb on the cross. We know that it was Jesus who went to the cross, but we understand Jesus' qualities better with this language and this imagery. They help us to understand his nature. And so it is, I think, with these images of the Holy Spirit. They speak to the characteristics of the Holy Spirit. And Debbie's going to touch a bit more on that next week. But they give us deeper dimensions to how he functions. And personally, I feel it's it's helpful to remember that when I read about the work of the Holy Spirit, or even when I experience the work of the Holy Spirit in my own context, I find it helps to think that it's kind of just like jesus is present performing his miracles and bringing spiritual freedom and, and and calling us out of like the boat just like jesus did that's what the spirit does and that is the continuing function of the spirit of god you see jesus tells his disciples in john 14 and in 15 to 18 he says if you love me keep my commands And I will ask the Father and he will give you another. Now this word another is, it's another just like Jesus, right? So Jesus is saying, the Father is going to give you another one just like me. Another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him. You know him. For he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so the word that we wanna look at here, again, lots of you know this, it's the word advocate. And in the Greek, it's broken down into two words. And we, we say parakleto, parakletos. And the first part of this word is um, para, which means close. The second part is kaleo, which um, speaks to a calling or a destiny or a purpose. And so the advocate that Jesus was sending, the Holy Spirit, would act like one he is close enough to call you deeper into your destiny and purpose in God. Other connotations of this word paraclete is like, like a family lawyer or a personal coach. He is permanently called alongside us to be our helper, helping us realize our potential in the Lord. And so all of the imagery around this word helps us to understand more of who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit testifies on behalf of Jesus to both his church, but also to the world who doesn't yet know him. The Holy Spirit is the person, presence, and power of God at work in and through us today. He is an advocate. He is a counselor and a comforter. And just like Jesus, we can trust him too. The Holy Spirit is the continuing presence of Jesus with us. I think it's that simple and it's helpful if we find the concept of the Holy Spirit tricky, that we just remember that. But Francis Chan says this, he says, If I were Satan and my ultimate goal was to thwart God's kingdom and purposes, one of my main strategies would be to get churchgoers to ignore the Holy Spirit. And I wonder for some of us, does it feel just that little bit safer to ignore the Holy Spirit, to play it safe, because what if some of that strange stuff starts to happen? But ignoring the Holy Spirit, it's not the answer either. Because if we're honest, um, we all have certain biases around the Holy Spirit and they may have um, been formed out of what we've maybe been previously taught or our spiritual heritage, the culture of the church in our nation, um, or even our own experience and, and hesitancies, they, they can all come together to play into how we understand who the Holy Spirit is and, and how he works through the church today. But in John 16, verse seven, this is what Jesus says. He says, very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate spirit will not come to you but if i go i will send him to you and jesus is he's trying to get them to 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 see this and to understand this and he's like i'm I'm not like telling you any lies here he's like lads just like don't jump ahead right he's saying it's it's better for you and for all of humanity that i go in order that the spirit come You see, Jesus understood how his humanity had had certain limitations that could be remedied by the Spirit of God coming in his place. The Holy Spirit was actually able to have multiple conversations and to be in multiple locations in ways that Jesus' humanity prevented him from doing. And when the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples, they recognized that the power that was filling them up, the power that they were experiencing in that moment, was how they felt when they were in the company of Jesus. What they once got from Jesus, they now got from the Spirit of God. They were friends with Jesus, and so they recognized and knew that the Spirit who was at work was Jesus at work on all flesh. And so, for us, as we grow into being presence people, in time we grow more comfortable with the Spirit of God. And we have to be careful as as church um, that we don't sensationalize and drum up and play heavily on emotion or anything like that. Um, But equally, we also have to be careful that we aren't so cautious that we become really controlling and we stifle what God wants to do because um, because of our apprehensions. Because actually, we usually find that when we are apprehensive, um, that's usually rooted and finds its basis in, in fear. And 2 Timothy 1 verses 6 and 7 say, For God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. He hasn't but he has given us the power of love, or sorry, but the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Yes, of course, we exercise wisdom. Yes, we always try to use the Bible as our primary means of discernment. But but do you know what? We also lean into what it is to trust the spirit. We also know that, that we are submitted to his leading just like Jesus was. And here's why. In Romans 8, verses 14 to 16, it says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about, by, or brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, by the Spirit, we cry, Abba. Father, the Spirit Himself testifies with our Spirit that we are God's children. You see, presence people are led by the Spirit and they find security in their identity as a son or a daughter of the Lord. That is our heart for our church family, for us and for you as we become presence people. But in Northern Ireland, you know, we're really, we've got this sarcastic, cynical slant down to a T. It's nearly like our badge of honor, isn't it? And uh, and I think it's been a bit of a survival mechanism born out of our shared conflict that we've had over the years. It's nearly like it's become a part of our DNA, But but we have to be really careful. Because when cynicism begins to seep into the church, it sort of skews how we understand what the Spirit of God is up to and how he's moving. And quite often, when cynicism is given too much room, we end up grieving him and hindering what he wants to do. And so sometimes I wonder if it has been easier and more comfortable for us to brush off the work of the Holy Spirit in our land and allow him to unearth some pain and, uh, and some of our shared wound over all of that. Because over the years, we've kind of been forced to batten down the hatches and to kind of get on with surviving, haven't we? But I think the Spirit of God wants to redeem this mindset within us as a nation. And I think he wants to restore who we were actually all originally created to be, to restore our understanding of what it is to be children of God and to allow him to create and renew our destinies in him because Francis Chan then goes on to say this he says Christ says it's better for us that the Spirit came and I want to live like that is true I don't want to keep crawling when I have the ability to fly you see the Holy Spirit is Jesus with us the Holy Spirit is Christ in you the hope of glory and uh, and and it feels like like the spirit has really been doing something among us this morning and as i've prayed um i've i've sort of want to focus around three um particular areas um that i think that he 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 wants to wants to move around this morning and so the first is um is around those people who um you feel like you've had a bit of hesitation over the years about the spirit and you've maybe kind of been feeling like um like I- I've never experienced anything like this before and uh, but you've been feeling the nudge this morning you've been feeling the nudge that that actually that God has drawing you closer to him and so um and so I feel like um there's an awakening going on within some people today that the the next set that I feel like is is um, is an area that God wants to touch into is is those of you who've really been struggling and questioning your identity as a child of God and you've got to that point now this morning where you're sick of crawling that you're, you're fed up with crawling because you know there is more for you, because you realize that it's time for you to fly. And the Spirit of God, I feel, wants to, um, to bring life out of what you feel is your chaos at the moment. And I think that he wants to tell you this morning that there's no longer a ceiling in place. And then the third group that I feel like maybe the Holy Spirit wants to minister to you here is um, is those of you who have come to church this morning and you're just really feeling like you're living in the grip of fear. That fear is really controlling your life, that it is in fact holding you back. And and you feel like you just um you want to invite Jesus to to breathe the spirit. Into you to replace that fear with the spread of peace, and so um and so I would just said to you, don't wait this morning, don't hesitate. Um, and there's going to be room at the front for ministry, and so we encourage you to come forward for that.